PD, I just stole some of your music. Not officially stole. The song we just sang, because your, your glory is so beautiful, I fall onto my knees in awe, and the heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. I wonder if, you, I wonder if we ever think about those words. Um, the heartbeat of my life. The heartbeat. Think about that for a moment. Our hearts beat without even giving any thought. How many of us are thankful that we don't have to think about our heart to make it beat? <laughs> I'd be dead. <laughs> we don't even think about it. It's natural. It's the natural thing. And I would submit to us that worship in the Lord is not natural to our flesh. When we're born again, it's our desire that that would become the natural response. But it doesn't happen overnight, does it? We discover that it takes work. And it really is work. I have to deny myself to come to this place. I have to deny the natural man and embrace. I have the mind of Christ. That's what the Word of God says. I have the mind of Christ. And I'm just so very cognizant this morning. And we'll get, we'll get to a sermon. We have, by the way, there's announcements. Be sure to read those because <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> um, If you have your Bibles, uh, we will get to Revelation chapter 17, which will be our text for this morning, but will you turn in your Bibles with me to John, the Gospel of John, and let's look at, hmm, where do we want to look? I believe I want to look at chapter 14. Chapter 14. Really, I want to just look at verse 23 this morning. Just verse 23. Think about this for a moment. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Pause for a moment. That's pause worthy. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's a sermon. That's a life. Keep his word. That's... That's the totality of his word. It's the written word. Psalm 40. The volume of the book is written of me. Messiah. Jesus Christ. 
Songs like, Your glory is so beautiful, I fall on my knees in awe. And the heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. Because your glory is so beautiful. It's an expression of love. It's a, it's, it's a declaration. I, I love you, Lord. I love you. And we, def- we see what he says. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Let's, let's, let's read just a little further because it's really, really good. It says, and my father will love him and we will come to him. Notice the we. And we will come to him and make our home with him. <laughs> Tim, thanks. Wow is right. Wow. Wow. That's a wow moment. Wow. Think about it for a minute. God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son will come and make his home with us. We have a little, I have a little expression when something is like absolutely overwhelming for me. The interns know when it's about to happen because I put my hands like this and I push down and I go like this. It, it's, it's incomprehensible. It's overwhelming, Mel. It's overwhelming to think, think this way for a moment. How comfortable would you be with the Father in your house? Anybody here want to clean their house? <laughs> yeah. Now think about it. When I ask the question, does anybody want to clean their house? We have a, we have a cliche. Are you familiar with the cliche, spring cleaning? Spring cleaning? That comes from the Jews. That comes from Passover. That comes from the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For eight days, they remove all the leaven from their house in the spring. They spring clean. They have to get all leaven out of the house. Leaven is a type of sin in the Scripture. How many of us have some house cleaning? Spring cleaning to get the sin out, right? Because the truth is, he's already shown us what it is. In fact... There's not a person sitting in this room, if you would take honest assessment right now, that you don't already know what your sin is. Because the Spirit of God is already pointing it to you. He's already revealed it to you. And we say things like, you know, awe and worship. And Jesus makes it very clear what that looks like if you love me. If anyone loves me, he will obey. And yet, we don't. We don't. It's awfully quiet in here. (laughs) Right? Why don't we simply obey? When the Spirit of God reveals that thing to us, why is it sometimes we just say, 
No. Don't want to do it. And I know there's good answers, right? <laughs> no. There is no good answer. But it reveals something. It reveals that oftentimes we're more interested in self than we are in God. Self, me. The gratification I receive from whatever that thing is, sometimes it's, sometimes we're just critical. Sometimes we just want to be critical. So we do it in church. The music was too loud. The drums were offbeat. Not that they were, Austin, wherever you were. <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I mean, we talk about the content of songs. We, we, oh, I didn't get anything out of the pastor's sermon today. He needs to study. <laughs> he needs to be a better communicator. I mean, we, there's all kinds of things. Marriages, critical. I wish my wife would jest. Or I wish my husband was a mind reader. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a single amen from a guy. <laughs> they, they're like, you're on your own, pastor. <laughs> Our kids. We do things like comparing. It's just, it's just self stuff. Self, self, self. And uh, so, I, I would that today, today, as we approach the living word, as we approach the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, that we would approach it with the recognition, this is speaking to me. This is, this is for me. God, God is speaking. The banquet table has been set, so to speak. He's speaking. Whether you or I will pick up a plate and put on our plate and consume what he is saying will be directly proportional to us, to you. God is speaking. His word is going to be taught this morning. It's already been taught. We've had church. We could come to the communion table right now, and every one of us would have something that we could confess, repent of, and go back and work it into the fabric of our lives. Can I just, just give me a head nod if you know that to be, that's me. Okay, come on, I've got to see your heads bobbing. <laughs> like a bobblehead now. <laughs> you can stop. Okay. So keep that. Keep that. Because it's a vulnerability to his living word penetrating our hearts to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, 
because it will reveal the motives and the intents of our heart. The Word of God is absolute. And when we are looking at the motives of our heart, we have to align it up against something that is greater than ourselves. Otherwise, all we'll do is justify our behavior. We must align it with that which is absolute, the Word of God. And this morning's subject matter, and I know for those Bible students in here that want the exegetical study and the hermeneutical study and the homiletical application. I get it. We are in a prophetic book, or at least in a portion of the prophecy of the book. We're in Revelation chapter 17, and Revelation 17 and Revelation chapter 18, John is given revelation of the fall of Babylon, something that has been previously mentioned in two chapters earlier, two, two places where it is predicted of the fall of Babylon. But the mystery of Babylon the Great. Many would hold that the mystery of Babylon the Great, and we'll read the first six verses in verse 18, the woman who rides on the beast. The woman. Many would believe that this woman represents all, the totality of false religion. And listen, this is the core to me. The core of false religion is self. And we see it. Its, its title is Mystery Babylon the Great. We know from history that Babylon was initiated after the days of the flood in Noah, and its world leader was Nimrod. The Bible even instructs us and tells us that Nimrod was a hunter against God or against the Lord. The picture there is he was the hunter of the souls of men to turn them from God to himself, establishing himself as their source. Well, we think, who would follow Nimrod, right? Well, don't we do that in many cases? Think about the last time you had a crisis what was the first thing you did? Now, I know some of you are very spiritual. And you're like, we got to pray. And yes and amen, you do. But so often what we do first is we try and fix it ourselves. Because somehow we think self is better than God. Now, we don't say that. Well, I know myself. I'm not better than God. But we live that sometimes. You understand where I'm at right now? I know. I mean, I know some of you. I, listen, I know some of you are very spiritual, and you don't do that. I'm just telling you, I do. I do, and it's because it's the natural thing. I ran out of gas in my lawnmower, not my car, and I was like, "What?" And so I'm going to fix this thing, you know, and I just go and I get, well, I'm out of gas. So now I got to go to the, or to the store, and get, store, to the gas station and get gas. I'm, fix it. I can figure this out. It's quick. It's quick. It's quick. And then it never even dawned on me. Lord, is there something that you would like me to do on the way to the gas station? Is there somebody at the gas station you would like me to interact with? Is there some other gas station you would like me to go to? 
Didn't even, I mean, they didn't even dawn on me. And guess what? I went and I got gas, filled the tank, or <laughs> filled the tank, filled the little bucket. <laughs> the gas can. <laughs> you know, I put the lid back on it, put it inside, or put it in the back of the car, said, hey, thanks, and drove home and did my deal, mowed the lawn. Never even once occurred to me. It didn't even occur to me that I should talk to the Lord first. Some of us say, oh, oh that, come on, PD, that's like everything we do. Amen. Yep. Now, praise be to God that he's in communication with us. It's just a matter of whether or not I'm listening, whether you're listening, right? And so self, 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 we get consumed. And so now flip with me to Revelation chapter 17. So keep that as kind of just a, a little framework. And while you're turning to Revelation 17, listen to me and listen very, very clearly and concisely. Because God the Holy Spirit has already spoken to you, do not, do not forget that. Do not forget what he revealed to you at that moment or that revelation that he's been revealing it to you. And when we come to the communion table, make confession of that thing, renounce it, repent of it, and leave it, and walk away and go and do that other thing. Does that make sense? Okay, I don't, I don't want us to lose that. Okay. Revelation chapter 17, I'll read the first six verses. We'll read verse 18 as well, and then we'll dive into uh, kind of the guts of where we are this morning. And it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Verses 7 through 17, the angel is going to explain these things to John. And we get to verse 18, and it says, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Father, in these next few moments, as we look as we look into the Word of God, as we apply to our lives the truths contained within the Word of God, Lord, will, will you reveal to us those things that we can be certainly joyful of that you are working in our lives, Lord, great joy. But Lord, also those areas where you are working in our lives and you are revealing us to ourselves and, the, and that sense of just selfness. Lord, will you help us to renounce that so that we might be more like Christ 
and others would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said a strong amen. Amen. I do want to encourage you at 6 o'clock, we have our verse-by-verse study through the Word of God, and we are in Revelation chapter 15 tonight. Revelation 15 and 16, we will cover them in their totality. So next Sunday evening, you will want to come because Sunday evening we will go into the detail of Mystery Babylon, and I will, I will give that exegetical and hermeneutical study, and we'll look at that very clearly, verse-by-verse, and give the details. Suffice it to say this morning... I could give you the history of the city of Babylon. I told you a little bit about it. It's initiator. We know in 606 B.C. it was Babylon that came in and took over uh, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, were already eradicated by the Assyrians earlier about 722 B.C. Now then, all that history is an amazing history, but this mystery Babylon seems to be carried through each generation. In the days of Jesus, it was typified by the nation of Rome. And uh, we won't go into all of its detail this morning, but I will simply say to you that there is a representation of those world systems that are over men. And there are at least two world systems that we are very familiar with. There's the side of commerce, which we're not going to discuss, and we're going to look very specifically at the religious entities over uh, mankind. And so with that being said, This woman is the unification of all false, idolatrous religion with representatives from all of the apostateness of whether it be Catholicism or Protestantism um, up to and including the smorgasbord of every false doctrine and false religion that is on the face of the earth. And recognize that in Protestantism and in Catholicism, there is an apostate group. There's an apostate group. There is a group that is contrary to the Word of God. They are contrary to the truths contained within the Word of God. We cannot be blind with the reality that there is false teaching and false doctrine in the church of Jesus Christ. There are tares growing up with the wheat. We know that, okay? So suffice it to say, it is accumulation. Now then, I I said it this way, and I want to focus on the false religions. I don't want to focus on the false religions themselves, and we could spend a lot of time just dissecting false religion. We could go through uh, systematically each one that we know of, from those that are under the umbrella of Christendom to those that are under the umbrella of Islam to those that are under the umbrella of uh, Eastern uh, mysticisms. We're not going to do that this morning. It is a worthy study, uh, but we will not do that this morning. However, what we're going to look at is really the, the heart. What, what is it that is behind? And we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but there is a disposition. And I think Jesus gives that disposition very clearly when he talks to the Pharisees, to the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees had a pharisaical disposition, a pharisaical heart. They were always comparing 
and always criticizing. Now, there's something to be said there. Always comparing and always criticizing. Uh, for instance, uh, bring a woman caught in the very act of adultery to Jesus, caught in the very act with stones in their hands. They don't even have legal right to excise capital punishment. Right? I mean, they, they brought Jesus to Pilate. And they said, well, when Pilate says, well, judge him according to your law. And they said, well, we can't, we can't excise the death penalty. So we brought him to you. And yet, in the temple grounds, they're standing there with rocks in their hands. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Moses says she should be stoned. What saith you? What do you say? You see the comparison? The law and Moses, what do you say? It wasn't about the woman. It wasn't about the death penalty. They were looking for cause to bring accusation against Jesus. That's what they were doing. So it's critical in that regard and judgmental in that regard. And so Jesus reminds us, and he tells a parable in Luke chapter 18. You can look at it later, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the sinner. And those of you who are familiar with your word would, would remember that Jesus, he says these words, and I'll read this one portion. He says, also he spoke this parable to some, listen to this, who trusted in themselves. These are the religious leaders. Who did what? Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Think about, think about on an economy of scale. Those who despise others, way over here, what do you suppose is at the other end over here? Jesus. God so loved the world. You see the spectrum? Despising others, the totality of love toward others. Jesus. That's... <laughs> okay. So today I just want to look at, and very quickly, and then we're going to come to the communion table, overcoming the religious spirit. How do we overcome a religious spirit? We see a religious spirit again in the story in Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigals, there's two boys, and one demands his inheritance today. Father, give me that which is mine now. And he receives it, and the Bible tells us that he goes away and he lives a prodigal lifestyle. He lives contrary to the lifestyle that his father had demonstrated and shown and taught him. He went after wine, women, and wealth, or what have you. It was just like, I'm going to spend it, I'm going to live it, and I'm going to do it now. And while he's away and he's living that way, he comes to his senses because he runs out. He, he, he squanders it all. And he's feeding pigs, slop. He kind of was thinking, man, I'd like to eat some of this slop. It's better than what I'm eating. The servants in my father's house eat better than this. And the Bible says he came to his senses and he thought, I'll just go home and I'll be a servant in my dad's house. And then I'll have sustenance. And so he 
makes his way toward his father's house. And his father, who sees him afar off, the Bible tells us, girded his loins. He took his outer garment and tucked it into his belt. And he took off running to his son who was lost. And when he came to his son, he threw his arms around his boy and kissed him. He put a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet. And he told his servants, celebrate. My son who was lost has been found. Kill the fatted calf and let's have a party. And so they celebrate. Now, come on. How many of you absolutely love a celebration? <laughs> it's so exciting to celebrate. Who is it that's saying, was it Casey? Celebrate good times, come on. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Listen, now I know, I know you're spiritual here. I know you're spiritual. And I know everyone here listens to Christian radio. But every once in a while, you might just happen to put it on one of those oldies. And when Casey and the Sun... No, who is Cool in the gang. Cool in the gang. Thanks, my wife, who is cool. She's like, cool in the gang, Dave. You're blowing this. You hear that music. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, Yahoo! It's a celebration. Yeah. And you, you know, you, I mean, some of you, like, you, like, start moving. Try and stick with the beat. I can't even move. I'm like. But you know, and if you, there's something in us, and it's, we get excited. And <clears throat> Dad was excited. His boy came home. He was lost. He's found. Now then, the older brother is out in the field working. Dad's crops, dad's grounds. It's like, what's up with that noise? Dun, 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 dun. He's getting closer. It's getting louder. He's all like, yeah, who, what? <laughs> and he's like standing outside, and he asks one of the servants. He's like, what? What's up? What's going on? They said, oh, bro, your brother, he's come home. And we're celebrating. We killed the fatted calf. He's like, you, wait, say what? <laughs> and dad comes out and says, son, look, your brother, he's come home. Come inside and celebrate. He's like, wait, wait a minute. All these years, I've been doing your thing and doing your crops and doing your work and blah, 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 and I've never done what he did. And you never once have said to me, hey, son, why don't you go get the fatted calf, kill the fatted calf, invite some of your buddies over, and let's celebrate. And the Bible tells us he would not come in. The difference between the heart of the Father and that religious, I've always done what's right. You see comparison? You see that disposition? Critical. Look what he did. He squandered your wealth. I've not done that. 
religious spirit. So let's just look. A quick self-examination or exaltation. This, uh, the roots of having a religious spirit. Uh, there was an article in a Charisma magazine. Ten signs, or ten sure signs, you have a religious spirit. Are you ready for these? I feel like I should be like David Letterman or something. You know, Here's top ten reasons to know. you got a critical spirit. <laughs> Number one. You judge other people by their appearance. Jesus just simply said to the Pharisees, you judge according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. We, we do realize that it's not about the outward adornment. It's what's going on on the inside, right? Remember Samuel when he came to Jesse's house? Bring out your son. He brings out, and surely this is the one. God says, nope, that's not him. Hmm. Do you have another son? Yeah, bring him out. Brings up, surely this is the one. No, it's not the one. And he goes through all the sons of Jesse, and he's like, well, now each one of them I thought was the one. They're not the one, so what's the deal? And God reminds him, you judge from the external, I judge from the internal. I judge the heart. He says, do you have another son? Jesse says, well, I do. He's He's a young lad. He's out tending the sheep. Sam says, bring him here. Boom, that's the one. And what do we know about David? Even though David had his foibles, the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. God looks at the interior. So we judge. So number one, judge others by their appearance. And if this, if this is you, this will be another good thing to repent of when we come to the communion table, right? So if you got, if you got any of this stuff working in you, this is like, no, man, right? All right. You try to earn God's love. You try to earn God's love. God's not answering my prayers right now, so I must, maybe I need to live more righteous. Maybe I need to do things. Maybe I need to love a little bit more. And you try and earn somehow his favor. Do you realize you already have his total favor? You already have his total love? He's already given everything. He gave himself. You see that? I mean, you and I, we cannot earn God's favor. We already have it. He has already blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing, all spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing. We are blessed with believing Abraham. All of the promises of God are yea and amen in in him. They are yes and amen in him. And if we're in Christ, all of them are yes and amen. We have all the promises. Come on. That's huge. Okay. So if you're trying to earn, could be a religious spirit working in you. You try to conform to outward holiness, but inwardly there's without transformation. A little pretending going on. And we do it. Well, I need to look good. Publicly. Boop, boop, boop. But privately, something else going on. Uh, always critical of other people's walk with the Lord. You talk about other people's walk with the Lord negatively? Rather than, dun, 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 dun. Where you celebrate... Even the little victories. And not like, yeah, but you should be. Yeah, but you should. <laughs> Closest Christian relationships are just simply based on ministry activities. In other words, well, my Christian friends are when I go to church, but I don't really have much involvement outside. Number six, perform Christian duties, but have no passion or hunger for God. I'll go do something, 
And that becomes like a substitution for true passion for the Lord, where you hunger and thirst for the Word of God and where you, I can't wait to talk to my father. I can't wait to get home and, uh, you know, go into my closet, close the door behind me and just speak to my father who's in the secret place. Or I can't wait to wake up early tomorrow morning because that's my private time with the Lord. No one else can interrupt that time. Uh, you, your identity is rooted in a lifestyle instead of Christ. Boy, that happens easy, doesn't it? What I wear, what I drive, what I live in, the clothes, the shoes, the whatever, my, my job. And we're conditioned by this stuff, right? We meet people, hey, Kurt, how are you? Hey, what do you do for a living? We ask right away, what people do is if what they do makes who they are. Tell me about yourself. Well, first response, <laughs> I'm a child of God. Blood-washed sinner. I almost spit on you when I said that. <laughs> I'm a blood-washed sinner. Thanks be to God. That's first. I'm a husband to the most amazing woman in the world. Amen. Amen. I'm a father to three absolutely marvelous children. Thank the Lord they took after their mother. (laughs) (laughs) And then I might say something about what I do. But our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. At the end of the day, Christ's ambassador. That's what I am. That's what you are. And if your identity is found in anything other than what the Word of God declares about you, you are in the wrong place. Okay. Uh, You know about the truth of Jesus, but not the ways of Jesus. Knowledge, but no action. You project right, righteousness, but in, inwardly filled with anger and resentment. Okay, so the ten signs. If one of those depicts or more of those or parts of one of those or any of that kind of stuff, there could be. And again, it's that pharisaical heart comparing and chastising or that older brother syndrome heart, if you will, uh, critical and complaining. So not to focus too much on that, um, I will say this. Jesus Christ did not die upon the cross of Calvary so that we could exalt self. John the Baptist had it right. He must increase, I must what? Decrease. Decrease. It's about him, not me. Uh, He died rather for a relationship with God through Jesus and with others founded in the character of God, which is love. So let's look at We see see the roots, self is kind of there, and there's some signs of these religious spirits, and we see Mystery Babylon encompasses certainly this element. Uh, Let's look at a remedy for a religious spirit. And I would say to you, there is only one remedy, and the remedy is God himself, and the Bible tells us God is love. God is love. For us to overcome the roots of this religious spirit We must learn to love the way the Father has loved us, the way the Son has loved us, the way the Spirit has loved us. To love, to love, to love. 
God help us to love. Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, said these things, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he was asked in chapter 22 of the greatest of the commandments. And you know his response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is likened unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Peter in his first epistle boldly declares, and above all things have fervent love for one another. Fervent love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of offenses. How interesting that when we see the Pharisees, they're talking about an offense. When they bring that, that reference I used, they bring a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. It was an offense. It was a sin. When the older brother, he, what does he point out? I've never done these things. Never once have I done that thing. What is he referring to? He's referring to those offenses. And the Bible tells us very clearly, Peter boldly declaring it, love covers a multitude of offenses. Think about the last time and the person that you struggle with the most and how they have offended you and the Word of God is telling us and reminding us if we would but submit to the love of God, that offense could simply be covered, atoned for, and forgiven and forgotten. Forgiven and forgotten. Again, John chapter 14 in verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Then he goes on to tell us, this is my commandment, that you love one another. I already read John 14, 22. If you love me, then you will obey my word. It's the same. It's obey the commandment. The commandment is simple. It's not a new one for us. It certainly wasn't a new one to the believers in that day. And it is to love. And I can tell you that if we would... Learn from the Lord how to love like he loves. Unconditionally, we could quench the religious spirit that rears its ugly head and the temptation to view other people through the lens that our adversary, the devil, would like us to walk around wearing. We could quench that. Which... Remember, he said his commandment is not burdensome. Come unto me, all you who are what? Heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. My burden is not cumbersome, or my commandment is not burdensome or cumbersome. It's not heavy. It's not a load. He says it's easy. It's light. Thanks be to God. We make it difficult. Well. 
If I do that, then I got to change, and change is hard. Change is hard. How many of us think change is hard? Yeah. How many of us think that with God, change does not have to be overwhelmingly hard? Remember, I can do all things through Christ. This is the kind of all thing I can do in Christ if I will but listen to the Lord and apply his word in my life. So, what are the results of an overcoming of a religious spirit? The results, if you will, uh, of applying the remedy of love. What results do we have? Well, Jesus said, if you abide in my love, your joy will be full. Dun, 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 dun. Yahoo! <laughs> your joy will be full. Yes, that's exciting. That doesn't mean you're going to walk around with a Colgate smile on your face all the time. I get that. There will be happiness that comes with the joy. There will be sorrow that comes with the joy. But the undertone of your life will be joy because you know whose you are and you know where you're going. You recognize that this life is but a vapor and we will be with Jesus soon. Come on! And he will give a joy. My mom used to say all the time, this too will pass. And gang, it will. We belong to him. So, not only our joy being full, but we will experience, because the word tells us in John 14, 23, that he and his Father will make their abode with us. We will experience true relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we will experience their love toward us. We'll know it and we'll experience it. That's big. In addition, he will enable us to be at peace with our brothers because true love covers a multitude of offenses. So even brothers who may have offended us, we can live in perfect harmony with, and not only will we experience the love of God, we will manifest the love of God. And others will see it, and will see it in others. And so three excellent results of applying the remedy. Biblical harmony. How beautiful it is when brothers reside together in peace. The peace of God. Wow. So, maybe, if you're like me, which I think, I'm looking across the room here, I think most of you are. Yeah, we're all pretty much the same. Maybe you've had some measure 
small or great, of a religious disposition. Call it, maybe you've been a little pharisaical. Maybe you've been a little bit older brother. Maybe you've been some other element there. Maybe you've harbored unforgiveness. Whatever it is. You've had some level of self-exaltation and you've not allowed God the Spirit into that area of your life. I'm inviting now to come forward the elders to prepare to serve us. And here's what I want you to do is we'll stand in just a moment. Please stay seated for a minute. And as elders come, Charlie and some of our other brothers will be coming forward to help serve. I want you to be thinking about maybe that thing that when I asked in the very beginning about submitting to the Word of God and brought that to our attention and how every one of us, the Spirit of God, was revealing at least something, revealing at least one thing. And now that we've talked about maybe some of these other things that could be working in us, the religious disposition or religious spirit, you say, man, now the list has gotten a little bit bigger. Now there's more than one thing. Maybe there's two things. Maybe there's three things. Will you take a few moments? Thank you, brother. God bless you. Will you take a moment and will you make confession to the Lord about those things? The Word of God tells us when we come to the communion table to not come in an unworthy manner, but that we would take spiritual stock of where we are. Take spiritual stock. This is taking, you know, the Scripture says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So we can, we can make that confession, ah, Lord, I'm judging according to the absolute of the Word of God. There's some stuff in my life, and I just want to get it clean. I want to make confession to you. Make confession. And when we stand and we make our way to these emblems, I'm asking that you would hold the emblems until we can all partake together so we'll move to these center aisles and then go back to our seats around the outside and hold them. But, and when you make your way back to your seat, until we come back to receive these emblems together, giving thanks for them, talk to the Lord about that stuff. And if you have some things to celebrate, the Bible says it's okay. You should read Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4. Because Galatians 6, 4 reminds us that it's okay for us to look at ourselves and, and be delighted in what God is doing and take pride, if you will, in a proper sense, take pride in where we are because we're not today the person we were yesterday and we're certainly not the person we're going to be tomorrow. And we can say, yes, he taglines it with this, not comparing ourselves to others, right? That's important. And that's okay. So you can say, Father, thank you for what you've done already. Thank you. Thank you that the guy I was when I first received Jesus, man, I'm not that guy anymore. But I certainly know I'm not the guy you want me to be, and I'm working toward that. And I hear your spirit, and I'm simply responding. I'm making confession of this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Will you heal me of this stuff? Help me to leave it at the altar and repent of it. Does that make sense? If you're here this morning and you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ as of yet, and you'd simply say, I want to be a child of God. I want to know that my eternal destiny is heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. If you'd like to know that your name is written in God's book and that you will spend an eternity with God in heaven, 
by receiving communion today, maybe for the very first time, maybe for the very first time understanding what communion is, you will be making a public declaration, I am a participant in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I am asking that your shedded blood, your shed blood, becomes the atoning covering of my sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. His shed blood covers the sins of the world, but one need lay claim to have it cover yours. I need to, you need to, we all need to. If you've not, you could do that today by simply receiving. And we would love to assist you in your new walk of faith with Jesus. With that being said, I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. Will you stand? And as we stand, our worship team has made their way back, and they're going to be leading us in song. I'm going to invite you to move to these center aisles, if you will, and make your way forward, and we'll spread across the front here to receive. And as brothers, you just receive the cup, receive the bread, and then make your way to the outside and back to your seats. Come forward now, folks. God bless. We'll receive together in just a few moments.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank our brothers for serving us this morning. Gentlemen, appreciate you. Appreciate your heart. Love our eldership and our leadership in the church. Men of God who spend their days on their knees praying and believing God for our fellowships. Awesome. To serve together. Lord, we love you. So very mindful, Father, today at this communion table, the emblems and what they represent. Lord, there is... There is so much in what these emblems represent. A series of sermons, a series of teachings. There's so much. And yet, when we come to the communion table so often, Father, we, without understanding even in some regard, we receive. So there's that statement of faith. And God, we just, by faith, we're saying, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. And so, Lord, help us to have our eyes opened in a greater measure and the understanding of what Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross for each of us individually. So, look this way, if you will, but for a moment. We hold in our hands, I would call it matzah bread. I believe that's matzah. I'm looking. I see holes in it, but I think it's different than what we normally hold. The matzah bread is a bread that is without leaven. It's a representation of the body of Christ, the broken body of Christ. At the supper, that last supper, he took the bread, broke the bread, and gave thanks. Jesus' life was a life without sin. He was born different than any other human being upon the planet Earth. Never in the history of man, Jesus, the immaculate conception, the virgin birth. His bloodline is different than every other person's bloodline here. He does not have the same bloodline that you and I had and have. We are descendants of Adam. And because Adam sinned, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that all men are sinners. And Jesus, what he accomplished upon the cross at Calvary, he became the perfect sacrifice. You see, as a man, as a man, he fulfilled the totality of the law of the Old Testament. Every if statement that was written in the law, when God said, if you, my people, will, then I will. Jesus came and fulfilled every if statement. That's what makes it possible for us to have all the then statements, which are the promises of God. In Christ, we have all the promises because he fulfilled all the if. Does that make sense? That gives me goosebumps. Because not a one of us could have ever done that. And no one in the history of humanity could. And therefore, because sin separates man from God, man was eternally separated from God outside a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why in the book of Revelation, when John saw that there was none found worthy in heaven, under heaven, or uh, on earth, or under the earth, worthy to break the seals of the scroll, he wept bitterly because he totally understood that without someone to take and break the seals, there is no redemption for mankind. And man will spend eternity separated from God. And he wept bitterly. That's the condition of every one of our hearts. We are separated outside of what the grace of God in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. God became flesh. A virgin birth. 
so that the bloodline would not be tainted with sin. It was sinless, and he lived a sinless life. He fulfilled all of those if-then statements of the law so that you and I in him could have all the promises of God, which are yes and amen. That kind of moment. The Bible tells us, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to the Lord. The bread, pierced and scored. To this day, to this day, at Passover, when Jews celebrate the Passover, they take the matzah bread. There are three pieces in a silk sack in three pockets, and they pull them out. They'll break one. They hide some of it for dessert. Later, they go find it. They send kids out to find the hidden piece. It's like the little dessert. But they look upon the one whom they have pierced, as the prophet Zechariah said. They will look upon the one whom they have pierced. They look upon the one who is the bread of life and has been pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible tells us about by his stripes we are healed and every matzah bread is scored with scores in it and pierced with holes. We look upon the one whom we pierced or the one that they pierced and it is by his stripes that we are healed. So we take this bread. It is a representation of the broken body that was broken for us. Praise be to God. Father, we thank you today for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We give you thanks. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. Will you stand with me this morning? The cup that we hold is a cup of juice. Again, by way of reminder, it is a representation during the Passover meal, the meal that Jesus said, I've longed to have and share this meal with you. His last supper. Four cups in the midst of the supper. The cup that he took in that meeting is the cup after supper, which is the third cup. And it is the cup known as the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my shed blood. Do this often in remembrance of me. We hold this cup and we are simply, by, by partaking of the juice, it is an outward expression of an inward faith. And I am expressing to you, when you see me take this, I am saying I am a willing participant. I'm the one tipping the cup. And I'm saying I am a willing participant that I am participating in the redemptive work that Jesus accomplished upon the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? That by you partaking today, you are declaring to everyone in this room, I am a willing participant. I surrender to Jesus. His salvation and His Lordship. The cup of redemption. Here's the good news. The fourth cup of the supper is the cup of the ingathering. Jesus said, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine till that day when we drink it together in my Father's house. The ingathering. That day is soon coming. 
when we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So until that day, we'll make public declaration, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian, blood-washed sinner, covered and atoned by the work that Jesus accomplished. Father, today we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, all of those things that you brought to us today. We recognize that the love of God is the answer. The love of God is the answer. The love of God. And Lord, we are saying, we're renouncing all of those things that your spirit has revealed to us. Those things that we don't align ourselves with the word of God where we've done and been willful in our own ways. We've exalted self and usurped your authority in our lives by exalting us. We say, no more, God, we don't want that. We want to total, we want total surrender. Total surrender. So even now, will you simply, under your breath, just be making those confessions, say, I renounce those things where I've been willful. I've renounced that pharisaical disposition or that older brother syndrome or that whatever it is where you've just been critical or uh, Lord, where you've just you, you've been condemning or you've had some level of comparison and justification and all that stuff. We say, no, God, no more us. We must decrease and make Christ increase in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin. We repent of our sin. Will you help us by your Spirit to walk away, leaving those things at the altar. Help us to walk away. And we seal those things. We seal them with you at this communion table. As we give thanks for this cup, the new covenant in the shed blood of Christ, we now have power over self. We have authority over self. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And your word says we are more than overcomers in Christ. More than overcomers. And so, Lord, we rejoice today that we can walk in that total newness of life for your glory and for your namesake. And we give you thanks, Jesus. We give you thanks, Father. You demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for the new covenant. Let's partake of the juice together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Dennis is going to close us in that chorus, and uh, you will be dismissed. If you are one who is going to come to the Bridgetown or the B-Town Kids meeting for our summer outreach, we would invite you to come learn more about it. It's an information meeting, and it, it will be in classroom B2 in about five minutes. So many of you have expressed interest. We would invite any and all of you, if you are interested in our summer outreach on the Saturdays of the summer, come and be a part of that. We're going to be reaching kids in our community. God bless you, Pastor Dennis. Lead us in song, and we'll see you all up in B2. God bless. Cause your glory.